he actually got it that he's done nothing to earn this gift. To say that I've done good works and therefore I get to have this gift means that somehow I've earned it. Uh-uh. <laughs> this is a free gift from God to sinners who need his grace. That's what this is. This week's episode of Living Fullness. I'm Stina Constantine and joining me on the podcast is Father Sean Burns. Each week you'll hear us chat about a range of topics from virtue to relationships, comments on cultural shifts and lessons we're learning as we go along and we are so happy to have you join us. So sit back and enjoy being part of a conversation with a couple of friends. How are you going Padre? Well thank you Stina and yourself. I'm doing well. That's the way. What's been happening? Well I have just gotten back from Sydney. Hmm. I went to Sydney to work on my thesis just to have some uninterrupted writing period. <laughs> it's yeah. fair enough. So I'm glad I did it. Sometimes you just have to do that, don't you? Just yeah, like block. block out some time. Yeah. How about yourself? For me, it's been lots of social catch-ups now that, mm. you know, spring is well and truly here and here to stay. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. for a little bit in Wagga, we yeah. hit summer pretty quick. But lots of people to catch up with, lots of walks that I can do with people. And Fantastic. Yeah, just nice to kind of get out and see people that I wouldn't ordinarily see. Great stuff. Yeah, so lots yeah. of that. Nice. So uh, I guess we're on to episode two of our book study. Yes. The Shattering yes. of Loneliness, A Christian Remembrance by Eric Varden. Indeed, indeed. So we're covering today chapters three and four of Bishop Eric Varden's book, The Shattering of Loneliness. And uh, he begins chapter three with a bit of a reflection about Lot and his wife. He's not too complimentary towards Lot. Uh, he's, he says that Lot is this mediocre creature and um, he purposely chose a land that was not associated with God's and God's promises to Abraham. He purposely, because you know how Abraham and Lot had an argument, and so then they had to decide what land they were going to take. And yeah, to what? Lot's just like, oh, I'll just take that land over there. And uh, it was the land that was completely different from the land that Abraham was to inherit completely different from those promises that God was giving. And, and so it sort of demonstrated this complete separation. Lot immediately is presented as this quite mediocre character, really. But he then looks to what Lot's wife. Yes. And he addresses the question, why did Lot's wife look back? I've never really thought about it in any kind of depth. Mm. We're kind of very quick to jump in and say, oh, like yeah, what yeah, a dumb yeah, move. exactly, exactly, right? <laughs> you were told not to. Why would you do that? And we don't Right, right. Stop but we never think, actually stopped to think, why, why would, would, you, why do would you do that, right? Well, <laughs> Bishop Eric did. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he asks a question. The question is, what did she have to remember that was going to keep her face looking forward and not back? She has the instruction of a half-baked man who tells her that she and her family must flee. Doesn't even tell her why. Doesn't tell her where to. Mm. Just says, you've got to flee. And by contrast with that, the memories of home, her home, are so much stronger. And the inquisitiveness of their predicament, so pressing, that she looks back. And in this way, Varden says that she points to the needs of believers to make Christ clear to their times. Mm -hmm. Lot's wife here struggled not so much with sin, although there are valid patristic interpretations which talk about that. It would seem rather that Lot's wife is actually struggling with nostalgia. Mm. A hope for the past and the present and an unwillingness to let go of lesser goods of the past for the greater goods that God is presenting. And she's unwilling to do that on the basis that no hope has been communicated to her. Mm. No hope of the future has been communicated in any meaningful way. So all of her hope is back there without any sense of a hope here and now. And so Origen, 
and one of our old church fathers, not the energy company. <laughs> Origen talks about um, the fact that her looking back, whilst he attributes it as a sin, he also talks about it as being the, the fruit of Lot as well. It was such a, an eye-opener to me that, yeah, actually, why did Lot look, look back? Because what did she have to remember? Mm. There was nothing to which her mind could hope for. There was nothing that interpreted her past in light of a God who loves her and is journeying with her. There was only a man telling her to flee without any good reason mm. and the past that she loved so much. Yeah. What else was she going to do but to look back? Mm. Yeah, it's a big yeah. ask. Yeah. He kind of goes on from there, only a couple of pages later, he goes on to say, he kind of reminds us of what Jesus says in Luke's gospel. And he says, remember Lot's wife. Christ speaks of those who have left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. To follow God's shining agent may come at a cost that seems unbearable. So there is a sense of we actually are expected in this life to have to let go of things yeah. that will hurt. Yeah. Yeah. They may cause us pain. That may cause us to feel distressed. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It may just be part of the journey that we need to take to get closer to whatever it is that God wants for us and to get closer to him. Yep. And he goes on to also say, cutting ourselves off from temptation, whatever that may be, a detachment from all that was and is for what God wills it to be. So kind of being mindful then of what we actually consume and what are the things that we're attached to. And thinking about what you were saying a moment ago about nostalgia, I think that that's something that we can all fall into as well when we think about the fact that Lot's wife actually sacrifices her future for the sake of the memories of her past. Mm. Like that's kind of what's happening here when she turns yeah. around and looks yeah. back. She's being nostalgic she's wanting to claim those memories from her past that was so enjoyable mm. but also having been told do not do that yeah. she knows there's something that's going to happen she doesn't yeah. may not realize quite <laughs> what that is how that may yeah. pan out but that was the ultimately the end point is yeah. that that's what yeah. was offered was her future and so when we think then in the sense of nostalgia how many times do we do that like how often do we look back on things either because things were so good and we want to continue to live in the past so we keep replaying and replaying and replaying or because they were so painful or so hard or challenging, you know, even conversations that we might have with people that were disagreements that we play over and over and over in our minds. We're allowing that to rob our future. The time yeah. that we have yeah. in the present is being robbed by us living in the past. Yeah. It's very fitting, isn't it, then, that she's turned to stone? Yeah. She probably feels a certain kind of way about that, me saying that right now. But when you think about it, as you rightly point out, by turning to the past, she does not allow for her memory to be redeemed. Mm. She does not allow for everything in her past to have a new meaning to it. Yeah. And so she becomes stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of makes me think about, is it St. Bernard? St. Bernard. Okay, St. Bernard, whatever. Yep. <laughs> However you pronounce She's, the name. He's Bernard. not a dog. <laughs> he's not Beethoven. Fine, St. Bernard. <laughs> Is it him that talks about how in the spiritual life we always have to be moving forward yes. and we yes. can't, like a, a stagnation yep. is actually there a step is, back? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe that's 
fitting like what you were saying her trying to turn away looking back wanting to bring the past not in a redemptive sense but wanting it as is Mm. wanting Mm. to be able to have that in the here and now being a slip back to the past and her then being turned to stone where you can stay stagnant right (laughs) exactly future there yeah so in a similar way we do similar things when we make choices that aren't good for us we sacrifice a part of our future to the past for what feels comfortable or easy in the here and now instead of following the call to be like christ himself there's another line that he has that i think is quite beautiful and it comes from page 75 Um, and it says it shows that conversion must be constructed in aspirational not reactive terms as an option for what is good not against what is thought bad or dangerous to me, that's just screaming what we're missing yeah. yep. <laughs> when it comes to a Christian and life of mission and evangelization right yes. now. Yes. Because how often do we actually do this? Like how often do we go into battle with the world precisely because another person that we see, we know that, you know, whatever actions that they're taking, we say that they're that's bad or that that's dangerous. And so we must battle against them to prove them wrong because they are wrong. <laughs> and so we're motivated by that instead of our motivation being in a place of being inspired by what is good and wanting to protect what is good, but not just protect it in like the battle sense, because we do that, Yeah. but also wanting to share the good. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, absolutely. And it's also something even for ourselves. Like when we consider personal conversion, how often is personal conversion reactive? Mm-hmm. This thing is bad. I don't want to do this thing anymore. Yes. Okay. That is true. This thing, whatever it is, bad. Don't want to do it anymore. Cool. But conversion is not just a turning away from something. It's a turning to someone, right? So in Christology, we talk about that Christ saved us not only from sin, but he saved us for a relationship. Yes. So we're not just turning away from something, we're turning towards something. We're saved for something. So I think even our own personal conversion can sometimes be a bit sort of reactive, can just be, oh, I can't do this. It's a bad thing. I mustn't do it. Okay, yeah, that's great. You've recognized something that's problematic, but then let's see what it is that we're going towards. Let's develop constructive, genuine conversion, which is a conversion to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to involve concrete steps in our lives beyond just a recognition that something is bad. Mm. It's actually going to require concrete human and spiritual steps. Mm. That's genuine conversion. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm thinking... I don't know where the etymology origin, the word conversion comes from, but Mm. in my brain it goes like conversion of energy. (laughs) But to me it's one thing changing to another. It's not just a change of direction like what you're talking about there. It's not just a moving away from, well, this thing, I don't want that thing anymore, so I'm going to go in the opposite direction. It's actually a changing of something. So Dr. Google (laughs) is being very helpful here. Yeah, okay, awesome. So... From the Latin conversionum, the nominative conversio, a turning round, revolving, alteration, change. Mm. It's a noun of action Mm. from the past partible stem of convertere, Mm -hmm. uh, to turn around, to transform. Yeah, there is something there. Yeah. There is something, particularly where it talks about change. A change and to alter. And to alter. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just hot going to cold. No. Do you know what I mean? No. Like it's not moving from one direction. Well, I don't want to go in that direction, so I'm just going to go in the opposite direction. Yes. But it's an actual change in itself. Yes, yes. That's so, what I'm trying to get at. Which is very, very Christological. Christ's redemption is actually a copious and effective redemption. It's not just picking us up and reestablishing us in a different direction. 
It's actually simply re-establishing us. Yeah, yeah. Bringing a different foundation and a different internal GPS, as it were. Hmm. Yeah. What else, Padre, did you pick up from this if we move ever so slightly away from yes, yes. Lot? <laughs> is there something to... else, and Lot and his wife? <laughs> yes. Is there something else that stood out to you? Yeah. So in Chapter 4, there was a bunch of things about the Eucharist that come up. And because uh, Chapter 4 is titled, Do This in Memory of Me. And mm. he makes the point that each celebration of the Eucharist is pristine. He's saying here that this is not a repeat performance. It's the premiere. <laughs> The human person is drawn into the drama of Jesus Christ by virtue of this liturgical action. And uh, and it's just, it's the representation, the making of this moment of the past of our Lord's crucifixion. It makes it a reality in front of us again, the crucifixion, the resurrection. Every aspect of the Paschal mystery is presented to us in the now, right here. It's a demonstration of God as the author of time, but also of the Redeemer of history. And that's not only history as a whole, because sometimes we can think of it more as a sort of a world history. Mm -hmm, But in mm -hmm. fact, he's the Redeemer of our history as well. And the Eucharist is that moment where we're called to participate in this audacious moment where a human being dares to utter words. (laughs) I pinch myself every day, right? I dare to utter words in which God comes down to dwell in a bread and wine, which I hold in my feeble, sinful hands, I'm called to have my own history transformed in that moment. Like he comes to transform my entire life, my entire history. It's incredible. Similarly, he makes a very good point. He says that the Eucharist is not a prize for good behavior. Mm. I like that a Mm -hmm. lot. I think it manages to avoid some of the pitfalls that have come from a phrase often quoted by a Holy Father. I love our Holy Father very much, Francis FTW. (laughs) So he uses a phrase which is, the Eucharist is not a gift for the perfect, it's medicine for sinners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think he's perfectly sound in saying that. Mm -hmm. It has been misinterpreted by some people who misunderstand and also by some people who are of questionable will, (laughs) it's been misinterpreted to mean, well, anybody at any stage can receive Holy Communion. In a state of grace or not, doesn't matter. Completely irrelevant. You don't need to worry about that stuff. It's for anyone to come and receive Holy Communion at any stage whatsoever. That's fine. Mm. That's not what he's Mm. saying. That's Mm. not what he means. Mm. And to try and interpret it in that way is just disingenuous. Mm. But I think what Eric Varden here does is that he, he uses a different phrase which evades that being taken out of context. Look, anybody can take anything out of context. Yeah, of course. But I think this probably evades those couple of pitfalls because his point here is that it's not a prize for good behaviour. In other words, because the whole idea of it being prize for good behaviour is, oh, look what I do, aren't I? Aren't I good? Look at all the commandments that I followed. I get to receive the Eucharist now. No, 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 that's not the point. His point is well made when we consider the Gospel of Luke where that centurion comes to Jesus and says, Lord, would you heal my servant? Jesus says, I will come to him at once. And the centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my servant shall be healed. He actually got it that he's done nothing to earn this gift. To say that I've done good works and therefore I get to have this gift means that somehow I've earned it. Uh (laughs) This is a free gift from God to sinners who need his grace. That's what this is. Mm. It's not about being some perfect saint in order to receive Holy Communion. 
that's not the point. Holy Communion is meant to help transform us into perfect saints, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a really important point. And what he does say then is that to worthily receive the Eucharist, to be worthy of the Eucharist is to allow Christ to define my past, present, and future by allowing his example to guide the meaning of my life. Mm. That's what he's pointing out there, and that there must be a consistency then in my behavior which reflects the God who is my Lord, Mm. that there must be this desire present in my behavior, present in the way that I act and I speak and I think that reflects the reality that I am trying to be like Christ. And if there are particular moments where there's just a great dissonance there, where there is not that consistency, it's a question of repentance. You know, gosh, we all need that. Yeah, so yeah, it's true. I just thought it was a really great way of putting that forward that didn't fall into Pelagianism for everyone and anyone all the time, every time. <laughs> like it's, it's just, he so perfectly and succinctly addresses the matter. It's really, really beautiful. Mm. That, was, that was what sort of stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. How about yourself? For me, there was a couple of points where healing jumped out. Obviously, as a therapist, anytime I see sure. someone in the Christian space talk about healing, my brain goes into therapy mode. So I guess one of the things that jumped at me was a quote on page 95 of the book where he says, for healing to spread through our consuming of it, we must be consumed by it, mm-hmm. by the saving reality it presents. So to kind of tie it to... So I watched an interview that he was the interviewee. (laughs) He was interviewed by an archbishop somewhere, not sure where exactly. But in that particular interview, he talks about an image that he was given by an Anglican friend who was quite old, um, as in senior in age. And this particular image was given to him just before his solemn profession. And so he got this image, he's looking at it, and it's a picture of a monk crucified. And he's kind of looking at it going, um, <laughs> this is a bit confronting, yeah. also not very encouraging right now. What is this? <laughs> so he's quite confronted by it and he turns the picture over and he finds this beautiful message. And he describes how the handwriting is almost like someone with a trembling hand, like oh. quite, quite old in age. So effectively the message on the back said that this is an image of a Christian who is so fully conformed to Christ that he no longer contemplates the suffering Christ on the cross, but looks out on the world that Christ is saving through the eyes of Christ crucified. Talk about a sobering message to receive, but also very inspiring. And isn't that the point of being a Christian, being consumed by love that actually transforms us? Boom. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, what this both, you know, him talking about this image and that quote that I read before, this isn't just about receiving Christ. It's not only about receiving him and not only about being nourished and sustained by him, but that it's actually healing. It changes us. It transforms us to become like him. So, and that's not just in the actions that we do. Like it's not just in the things, but it's in our very being. Like we ourselves are being transformed. It's us being changed so that not only our eyes are like his, we look on the world with his eyes, but we actually love the world with his heart. Like that's the internal change that needs to happen. Agere sequitur esse. Action follows being. Mm. Aristotelian principle. <laughs> Aristotle. Mm-hmm. Bless his heart. Mm-hmm. Thomas comes along and purifies it. And uh, Thomas Aquinas, not Thomas Smith. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Could have been any other Thomas. Action follows being, right? Yeah. You know, that our action ought to flow 
from the redemption that we have received, from the relationship that we're called to live, that is, yeah, 100%. Yeah, powerful stuff. So, yeah, we told you the <laughs> chapter three and four was going to be deep. It was going to be big. Yeah. There is a lot in here. We've barely just scratched oh, stuff. There's like, so much more stuff. There man. was so much in there that we So much culled. more stuff. <laughs> that one of our teammates is going to be putting some stuff onto the show notes that didn't actually make it into the episode. So, if you want to read some more of some of our thoughts, jump over to the show notes to be able to get some more of that. So, next week will be the final episode for our book study. We'll be covering chapters five and six. So, make sure you have a read of those. They are beautiful. And we'll have a chat with you next week about that. But before we go, a truth, beauty and goodness, Padre. Yes. Well, for me, it's a family that have gone to hospital okay. with their little boy. And um, I was talking to them over the phone because they've gone to Children's Hospital in, in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking to them. They're one of my parishioners. So I was talking yeah. to them over the phone uh, this morning, actually. They were talking about how the boy was going and everything and that there's improvement, which is great. And then the husband said, oh, look, my wife just wants to have a quick word to you. I said, oh, yeah, sure. No worries. So... Wife jumped on the phone and said, um, Father, I just wanted to tell you to please pray for all these families and kids that are here in hospital. Mm. Uh, and she said, if you could please especially pray for a young girl. She said she's 17 years old. And she's pregnant. She has serious cancer, but she's not getting treatment. She doesn't want to get treatment until the baby's born because she oh. doesn't want to lose the baby. Whoa. And I'm just like, my gosh. I mean, there was just so many things in that Jeez. that made me go, whoa. Like, firstly... There's a family who are experiencing one of the most frightening things on yeah. earth, which is that their, their baby is really, really sick. Mm. And in that moment, they're actually still thinking about other people, yeah. which I just think is totally amazing. Yeah. The other is that they've just borne witness to this beautiful young girl, whoever she is, whatever her name might be, I have no idea, this beautiful young girl who is so young but has so much courage yeah. as to say, I think I'd rather die for my baby. Yeah. I'd rather take that risk. Yeah. I just think, my gosh, that's wow. That's just incredible. So that was um that was a really, really beautiful mm. experience this morning. Mm. Yeah. What about yourself, Stina? Well, I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess something I found during the week was a resource. It's another app. It's called the Pause app. It's made by the husband and wife behind Wild at Heart. So it's just a free app, legit free. I know some people create apps that are free to get into and then you have to pay to like buy stuff within the app no everything on this app is free and it actually just gives you moments of meditation of guided meditation so literally there is one in there for like a minute five seconds (laughs) (laughs) and you can set a timer on this particular meditation for one minute two times a day (laughs) and you can set the times that it suits you and you can go in there there's five minute ones seven minute ones you know slightly longer ones as well but there is also one that they've specifically designed for resilience building So it goes for 30 days and you do a, I think it's between eight and 10 minutes in the morning and then an eight and 10 minutes of an evening as well. So a guided prayer and reflection time, but also an option or an opportunity for some contemplative prayer as well as they guide you through a bit of an imagery halfway through 30 days. So highly recommend you check it out, see if it suits you, works for you, may not, may do, but that's another free resource that you can tap into. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank so, you. So thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of Living Fullness. We will catch you again next week. But until then, I'll love and press. God bless.